The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to A Rumor of Empathy with your host, Lou Augusta. Lou is one of the premier empathy consultants in the community today. In this program, Lou and his guest experts will help you understand and expand your empathy. In doing so, you may discover a side of yourself that you never even knew existed. Now, here is Lou Augusta. Thank you and welcome to the show. This is Lou Augusta. With a rumor of empathy, if you are joining us live, it's noontime in Chicago. And if you're joining us on replay, it's whatever time it is. And welcome to one and all. Today, my special guest is David Howe, author, Empathy, What It Is, and Why It Matters. Palgrave Macmillan Press, encouraging our colleagues to buy at retail. But all kidding aside... After a short spell of teaching, David, David Howe, teaching in London, uh, undertook a career change from geology and chemistry to specializing in child and family social work, including dealing with cases of child abuse, neglect, adoption, and foster parenting. An interest in research and teaching allowed David to move into an academic social work position at the University of East Anglia. This is in the United Kingdom, the UK. So a shout out to all of the colleagues on the internet tuning in from across the pond, as we say. David's research and writing have been in social work theory, emotional development, empathy, developmental attachment theory, and taking a stand against child abuse and neglect. He's the author of many papers, as well as more books than I can shake a stick at. Most recently, Child Abuse, Child Abuse and Neglect, Attachment Development and Intervention, and the book which provides the catalyst for us today, Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters. David, uh, when I read this book, I said to myself, this is the book I wish I had written. David, welcome to the show. Hello, Lou. Welcome. Um, pleased to be with you. It's been a great privilege and pleasure to join you on the show. So thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad that we can do this. And so let's get right into it. I actually have a copy of Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters in front of me. And you know how... Uh, as a oracle, people would open up an important book like Virgil's Aeneid or the Hebrew Bible or the, the New Testament and point to a paragraph. I'm going to do that. Okay, right. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Be ready. We didn't do this when we talked earlier. We did. You're taking me by surprise here. <laughs> uh, so I, I turn to page 175. This is actually a great quotation. And I quote from Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters. Being open to the client's story 
is a constant corrective to sticking rigidly to any narrative, including the medical narrative. Practitioners who approach clients, patients, customers with only one story in mind, the medical story, are in danger of failing to hear what is going on. Key symptoms that lie outside the medical narrative are simply not heard. Beyond the medical plot line, they remain invisible. And here's the punchline. Thinking with stories is like empathy and achieved mutuality and relatedness. What's the relation between empathy and narrative storytelling? What do you think? I suppose as a species, we're, we're just in, inveterate storytellers and we weave our lives around stories. Uh, as soon as we're old enough to hear stories, parents will read their children's stories. And often parents will use stories as a way of helping children understand the social world, relationships, emotions, other people. And often in the storytelling, they'll invite children to think about what it might be like to be another character in the story. So from the very outset, I think children are introduced to the idea that storytelling is a way to make sense of both the self and the other. And I think when you're being with people generally, not just at a level of social conversation and gossip, but with people professionally, then using the narrative, the story, as a way of trying to connect and communicate and understand somebody else is a very powerful vehicle. So I think the idea of being open-minded to the other person's story, where they're coming from, how they've got to be where they're at, is really an important platform on which to base your empathic skills and talents. I think that's what I was trying to get at in that particular paragraph, the sense yeah. that yeah. being being narrow-minded, thinking just in technical terms or instrumental terms, is just not going to do it. You have to be open enough to hear the other person's story, account, history and biography. You know, I mean, that puts me in mind of at least two things. First of all, uh, the medical narrative has strengths and weaknesses, yeah. and we can do a drill down. This is not dump on medical doctor day, we can schedule one of those some other time as appropriate. Uh, we honor and acknowledge the healing professions and the work of you know, a shout out, really, and uh, all kidding aside, uh, we honor the work of the medical doctors of all specialties. But but that's not actually what I want, well, the, the main association that I had regarding storytelling. I mean, I didn't plan on saying this, but my, my late mom who I honor and acknowledge in so many ways and her many uh, strengths and a few weaknesses too. One of her strengths is as a boy. She told, when I was a boy, she told me stories. She was a storyteller. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is, I, she got it right. You know, I mean, I, at the end of the, I was maybe, I, I don't know, four years old, definitely of tender age. I have a few early memories, not many, but, you know, tricycling around in the basement while she was doing laundry. And at the end of the day, she would she would tell me a story about a character mm -hmm. which she named. Now, this is somewhat revealing. I'm going to put it out there. Uh, and I think it, it really honors her and to an extent, the four year old that I was. She would tell me stories about a character named Doodlebug. <laughs> Right. And Doodlebug would get on his tricycle and, and visit the Indian village and make a treaty. This is the story. He would make a treaty with the chief and then he, his adventures would continue. He would go to the bakery 
and buy baked goods like we're thinking cookies here four years four years old chocolate cookies he would stand and this was the punchline of the story he would stand on his noodle for apple strudel as a four-year-old i had no idea what apple strudel was and when eventually i discovered it i, I actually wasn't that crazy about it although i have since grown to love it <laughs> it was a little too goopy for me at the time but so what i mean so what what i mean i put the ball back in your court what did this story do you know generalize for some four-year-old think of a of a of a of a warm welcoming i don't know how you want to describe it how did how did that relate to empathy where's the empathy in that it's in addition to it's being nice yeah um what do you think i suppose i'd weave together several elements i think the action of telling a story and trying to capture the day's events and the things that happened and things that might happen and what other people might be thinking and saying and doing inviting you to join in that story is not only itself uh just a lovely thing to do and it was a great story by the way um i thought so <laughs> i'm writing it up I'm publishing it actually. even yeah. as we speak you're writing it down yeah yeah uh, and and in that activity i think then not only are you being invited to be part and part of the story and engaging with that story but also your your horizons are being expanded you're beginning to see the world beyond your your mom and yourself and you're beginning to see things that have a larger perspective and i think that's a very powerful message for young children the world is a complicated place it can be a frightening place it can be a fascinating place even for adults it's frightening david if i may Absolutely. say so i picked up yeah. the newspaper this morning you know i'm in recovery i'm gonna soldier on here though but i just had to make that point you're a brave man lou <laughs> <laughs> together we'll get through this yeah yeah i'm, I'm just again on a personal note i mean you, you mentioned your mom um my daughter's a, a doctor yeah. gp um and when she's working with patients she has the i think it's a general acronym i don't think it's peculiar to her particular practice i think it's fairly universal in fact it may be generated by some american academic but the acronym is is ice i-c-e and she says when she's meeting a patient for the first time, she wants to know what their ideas are about what's happening, what's brought them here, yeah. what are their concerns, and what are their expectations. So ideas, concerns, and expectations is another way of getting the other person to tell their story, not to you impose your particular professional story on them, even before you've got a, a way of understanding their biography, their history, and where they're coming from. And again, I thought that was a lovely little anecdote that she gave me about a patient where ideas, concerns, and expectations made a huge difference in the diagnosis that eventually materialized after the consultation. Hmm. So I think generally, as, as we practice them, we've, with this openness, this curiosity. One of my favorite words at the moment is curiosity. We mustn't lose our curiosity. Kids have it in spades. But I think as adults, we tend to get narrow in our interests and we think we know where we're going in this situation or that. Curiosity, I think, opens up the world to make it much more interesting and much more fascinating. Very much so. And, and uh, I think that the touch that you describe of your, uh, of your daughter as a general practitioner is to the case. What do you think, oh, dear client, oh, patient, what do you think is going on? Granted that I can bring to it various kinds of technology and these days imaging and 
you know, even artificial intelligence and symptomatology and and the like. Uh, but to return, so I acknowledge that. I think that's that's a point well worth making. Uh, not to get hung up on one particular story, narrative uh, and storytelling uh, is. Uh, I think uh, we really haven't clarified the relationship with empathy here, and I'm gonna. You obviously know a lot of stuff, as indeed do I too. You know, but wh wh let's try to connect the dots here. Can you help me connect the dots between narrative and empathy? Uh, what? Wh any thoughts about that? Could you say more about that? I've obviously failed already, Lou, in the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you thought you answered the question. Uh, I thought I'd answered it. Yeah. yeah um, well, uh, it, it, and I think it, it well, uh, I'm, well, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you obviously got ideas in mind yourself, so just yeah. give me a few clues as to where yeah, you okay. want Okay, well, to I mean, the clue is, here. okay, so here's what I had in mind. Maybe I should have just, you know, here's what I had in mind. Uh, I saw a quotation from... Uh, somebody, his name was Hans Lowwald. He was one of those guys who escaped uh, around the time of uh, World War II and eventually ended up in the Boston geography. I think he came by way of the UK. And he said, you know, uh, one approach, he didn't call uh, the word, he didn't use the word empathy in this particular quotation, but he did say when the therapist or the counselor or even the good friend who's really a friend and not just giving superficial mm -hmm. advice yeah. uh, takes the other person's experience and gives the experience back to the other person in language. And that may include a story or a narrative or but broadly speaking, a form of words. It felt like this was what a form of language that enables the other person right. to relate to their experience in a way they hadn't already done so. Yeah. So yeah. especially, you know, let's say that the experience was negative. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, we I'm gonna allow the possibility for success and triumph and you really nailed it. But let's say the experience was negative and confronting as an issue, as a breakdown. You know, I didn't I didn't get the job. I didn't you know, my my wife left me. My girlfriend broke up with me and did it via text. <laughs> you see, this is tra near to trauma here. I mean, I, I think this actually qualifies as a trauma breaking up via text. I mean, my God, how unempathic. Right. Uh, and so give the experience back to the person in a form of narrative where they can integrate it. So what was happening, I think to take it up a level in my mom's storytelling or anybody's storytelling, giving the, the four-year-old the experience back to them in a way they can understand and integrate. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, uh, that makes sense. And, uh, and I, obviously I'll go along with that totally. Uh, an expression I'd heard recently was the other person needs to feel felt. Yes. And I think in the, in the storytelling, in the narrative, uh, the feedback that you're giving about the sense that you're making of them make, trying to make sense that feeling felt, that feeling understood in a way that's accessible, again, is, is a very effective way of, of relating and engaging with somebody else. Uh, and, and so I suppose, you know, having discussed empathy now for about 17 minutes, we ought to define our terms. How would, what, how would you define empathy? Would you pr want to propose a definition? Um, yeah, uh, if, if, the listeners could bear with me. Um, I'll, I'll weave several elements together here, but I think each on their own is quite interesting. But as a package, I think they, they capture the full 
idea of empathy. Uh, most people will know that at a, an emotional, physical level, we tend to respond to other people's situations at a at a physiological level. So I think the analogy that I, or the example I usually give is when I was watching some people climb a sheer rock face, people do, doing free climbing, I think it's called, yes. without ropes, uh, just simply going up with their bare hands. Um, as you're watching them, you can feel your own hands and wrists tensing, your body muscles tensing as you think, oh, are they going to make it? Is it going to, are they going to fall down? Your body feels it, your emotions feel it at that very basic primitive level. So that, I think, is first base in, in empathy. But that in itself is, is a very kind of weak connecting element. Um, I think much more effective is the idea of cognitive empathy when you really have to think your way into someone else's situation. And I think when we spoke the other day, Lou, I think we just said that the folk, the folk idea is walking in someone else's shoes. Yes, yes. And it, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent way of thinking about it. But it needs to be distinguished from sympathy. Sympathy is me related. Um, oh my God, you've just had a text and you've been dumped by your boyfriend, girlfriend. God, that happened to me the other day and I felt awful as well. God, I've still not got over it. I mean, that's sympathy. That's me telling you that I've had something happen to me, same as has happened to you. But empathy is actually me understanding what it must feel like to be you, having been dumped by your girlfriend, boyfriend over, over a text message. And that's rather different. So the idea of trying to get into someone else's shoes, into their head, into their perspective, understand them and how it must be like to be them at that particular point in time is, is empathy. Um, again, I quite, I quite like etymology, looking back at the derivation of words. Uh, are you okay for this? Should I, should I try a couple of definitions of... Um, of yeah, group? I mean, well, let me give you back what I've got so far. And, and so it looks like... Um, uh, we're going to go to a break shortly, but what I've got so far, and then we'll pick this up again, is there's a bottom-up empathy where I visually, viscerally relate to the guy climbing up the rocks and maybe my hands are sweating and I get a little yeah, vertigo. Yeah. And then there's a top-down empathy where I consciously or with some intellectual effort put myself in the other person's shoes and with with or without their feet uh, so I can see where the shoes fit fit or don't fit. Now hold that thought because we're going to go to a break after which we'll pick up with our special guest, David Howe, author, Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy. Individual psychotherapy services to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening. 
as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement, action, and accomplishment, and delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy. For further details, see Lou on the web at louagusta.com. That is spelled L-O-U-A-G-O-S-T-A or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to arumorofempathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Lou Augusta, and I'm talking with my special guest, David Howe, author, Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters. And by the way, as the helpful voiceover mentioned, we are live today, April 15th in the USA. That's Revenue Tax Day, not the case in the UK where David is located. God bless you guys. We are able to take call-in calls from view, uh, from listeners, not viewers, but listeners, if you have anything you'd like to pose, uh, questions, issues, uh, we are live uh, at uh, noontime and thereafter on the 15th. If you're on replay, of course, you can't do that. So we are, keep that in mind, so we are talking about empathy, what it is and why it matters, what it matters, how it matters, and had said, let's distinguish bottom-up from top-down empathy. I put myself in the other person's shoes, kind of folk wisdom there, and see where the shoes pinch. There's a kind of bottom-up affective empathy. Very interesting. It occurs to me. I'm going to actually pose a question here for you, David. Bear with me for just a second more. Uh, That there is this matter that uh, when I'm in the presence of a person who's dealing with something, an issue confronting, sometimes it is painful and difficult, that we human beings seem to resonate with one another affectively, emotionally. There is this phenomenon, emotional contagion, uh, not empathy, but perhaps input to the empathic process. Uh, what's the, I mean, there's this conversation in the market, in the uh, academic world about mirror neurons, which may or may not exist. Why don't we Pick up that subject. I know it's on the minds. Uh, you do comment on that in your book. What's your take on this matter of us humans resonating together emotionally? What do you think is going on there? I think if we look at it from an evolutionary perspective, as a species, we've been extraordinarily successful. And a lot of our success is to do with our 
ability to cooperate, collaborate, communicate, work collectively. But you can't do that unless you can begin to tune into other people's minds and perspectives and recognise that they have plans and intentions and aims and beliefs and hopes and skills and talents. And unless you can cotton on to that and then capitalise on it in terms of collectively making things happen, then then as a species, you're just going to operate as individual, egocentrically, selfishly. I think the ability to cooperate defines the success of our species. So I think evolution is selected for that particular talent of beginning to see the world from other people's points of view. Um, and that and may be an ability which... Uh, gets developed, as you say, from an evolutionary point of view. We want to give a shout out to that great English-British uh, individual, Charles Darwin, right? He, he, he seems to keep coming up. Uh, 1871, the expression of emotions in man and animals. This may be an ability we share with higher mammals, even not only primates, apes, uh, chimps, gorillas, bonobos, but uh, uh, mammals such as dogs and cats and other kinds of furry critters. Uh, what What's going on there? Well, I think all social group living animals to some degree have an element of um, empathy. Um, there's been a recent book published the last couple of years. Is it by Van der Waal? I can't remember his name. Ah, yes. Um, I want to say... Uh, Franz Deval. Franz Deval. Franz D E. Franz D E. Space capital W A A L. That's uh, right. A, yeah. a, a, I would say a Dutch or a Netherlands type name. The Age of Empathy. He hit the front page of the Wall Street okay. Journal. Exactly. No small feat there with his title, The Age of. And he is head, either now or up until recently, of the Primate Research Center at Emory University and out empathizing and uh, having the discussion, you're right, the public discussion about empathy. And we, so what's the difference? I mean, so it gets complex and academic, but I'm willing to go there. Well, I think, I mean, the basic thesis is that, that most group living animals, particularly mammals, have some capacity for seeing the world from the other's point of view. But in humans, it's reached a level, I think, that's uh, extraordinary, sophisticated and complicated. Yeah. And I think then if we build onto that, how children themselves develop empathy and and add the brain bit onto that, then let me think of a... I'll try and get... Well, well, well you're I'll, thinking of an animal, uh, of an example, and maybe of an animal as well. Uh, let me share with you what it puts me in mind of, especially when you bring up the matter of child development. Because the one thing, it seems, that human children and their caretakers, their mothers, their fathers, uh, their... Uh, and here we're talking really young, like one-year-old, even maybe, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less... Uh, what does happen that seems to not happen in the case of chimpanzees and gorillas, although these latter creatures are extremely intelligent, extremely clever, but mom and baby will say, and mom and baby will say, uh, will get that baby sees that mommy sees the truck. Yeah. It's not just that 
you know, Johnny or Sally or baby, as I say here, sees the truck. It's yep. that the, the young kid, the young child of tender age sees that the caretaker sees what they're both attending yep. to. And that's so I'm, I'm giving you an example here. Feel free to run with the ball. What's going on there? It's, it's, it's such a lovely example. And of course, as parents, we just tend to take it granted. But as soon as children start pointing at things, they point at the, the car, uh, they, they point at the tree, uh, they point at the dock. Uh, but they then turn their gaze to the parent and invite the parent then to connect with the thing that the child is looking at and pointing at. Now, that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you just think about it, the child is sensing that you are seeing the world as I'm seeing the world, but I can connect with your version of it, um, this proto-decorative pointing, as psychologists call it, yeah. is, is the recognition that I have things going on in my head, you have things going on in your head, and we can connect. We yeah. can share. Um, and if we go back to the story of evolution and development and the brain, then there's a... There's a, there's a a cohesiveness there. I think biology has done a trick that's quite remarkable. Well, um, it is interesting. It is remarkable. And I mean, just to be fully buzzword compliant here, uh, for those of our listeners who are into that sort of thing, the term joint attention and joint intentionality, baby sees, open parentheses, Mommy sees the truck, close parentheses. Not baby sees the truck, mommy sees the truck. No. Baby sees, mommy sees the truck. The joint intentionality, the joint attention there seems to make a difference that the one individual gets, as you say in your book, that we are minded. There is a mindedness here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if we just generalize what we could say is that you can't develop empathizing skills unless you've been on the receiving end of empathic parents who recognize that your ability to see the world is in itself a burgeoning little psychological self in the making. And the more I credit you with that capacity, lo and behold, you'll develop that capacity. So if the brain is a self-organizing developmental structure and the brain is programmed to make sense of experience, but it needs exposure to that experience before it can make sense of it. And that tells us that that would be true not just for things like language and vision, but also for the emotions and mental states uh, and social life generally. So children don't develop these social empathic skills unless they've been on the receiving end of them from parents themselves who are interested in you and your little burgeoning mind. And that very interest in your burgeoning little mind brings about your little mind and again, that's just such a delightful biological uh, trick that nature has worked, that you then develop the very skills and capacities which are going to allow you to function in the complex social, cooperative, collaborative world that we humans have generated uh, with such success. Isn't that amazing? And so the child, the growing uh, creature uh, of tender age is living into the empathic expectations, context, milieu that the caretaker, mom, dad, uh, caretaker is providing. And yeah. it becomes a positive self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, and heavens forbid, when that's not available, you get other kinds of feedback 
negative kinds of results with which I know you professionally have have struggled where individuals don't uh, get the empathy and the ability to set boundaries and navigate boundaries between self and others. A lot of this work is about boundary setting and boundary navigation. It puts me in mind of a confronting question. I think we need to just put it out into the space. In what sense is empathy teachable, trainable? In what sense have you got it or you ain't got it? Uh, it sounds like your commitment is that, you know, it's worth trying, what, but, but what, what's the, and I would agree with that. I mean, but what's the deep background to this? Is this, what's, where's the nature? Where's the nurture? Uh, you know, that's an oversimplification, but perhaps a useful one in this case. Yeah, well, in your very generous introduction, you mentioned that I did science for my first degree. So I do have a soft spot for, for the kind of science. Yeah, geology, right? I mean, which is perfect for the geology of the human soul. I mean, there are all these metaphors that Freud used about archaeology and the strata and digging and unearthing the past, the deep. It's, it's, I think it makes perfect sense you would get into social work, David. Yeah, a down-to-earth approach. <laughs> But I'm sorry, I interrupt you. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. The um, scientific dimension, which is important. So I think I think nature can't be ignored in this. I think we we are uh, genetically varied enough that some people are gifted naturally with empathising skills. Some people are less gifted. Some people have neurological disorders that means that empathy is in. Is, a, is in deficit. Uh, I suppose people on the autistic spectrum disorder are comes to, comes to mind. That one comes yeah. to mind right away. Yeah, but but then on top of that, of course, nature interacts with nurture. Um, genes need the environment to express themselves. So the quality of the environment then becomes absolutely critical. No matter what your, if you like, your natural level of empathic potential that potential won't get realized unless you've got an environment that's going to facilitate these mentalizing, empathizing skills. And of course, if it does that, then empathy means that, that your social skills, your ability to be emotionally literate um, will mean that life is less stressful. And if it's less stressful, um, then your empathy increases. Now, you mentioned and hinted, I think, a bit earlier on that kids who've suffered neglect or abuse or trauma will not have been on the receiving end of empathizing parents. By definition, these are the people that are meeting out the neglect, the abuse and the trauma. So the, 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 the double whammy for these kids is that um, they're suffering the highest levels of stress and dysregulation. Therefore, yeah. they need the greatest empathic responses from their parents. But hey, these are the people that have actually meted out the neglect, the abuse and the trauma. So they're going to be the least available to help you regulate the stress that the very trauma, neglect and abuse is meeting out. So you're going to find your empathy skills, your abilities to make sense of the social world and other people is going to be severely compromised. And therefore, life is going to be stressful because you're not making sense of other people that well. If you're not making sense of them that well, then my gosh, you're going to find it pretty tough out there. So your stress level is going to go up and you're going to get your defenses charged. You're going to be fleeing or fighting or switching off or being aggressive or withdrawn. So it's a vicious circle. Um, and if we could hark back at some point, uh, what do we do about that? Yeah. And of course, uh, we're into classic therapeutic territory, educational territory, um, what societies can do to 
prevent as much of this abuse, neglect and trauma as possible because it's going to lead to poor mental health, poor social behaviour and big societal problems. Well, the costs are over the top. Totally. Uh, And an ounce of prevention is always uh, more economical than a pound of cure. Uh, Easier said than done. And and I do want to hear about the interventions and the application of empathy to the lack of empathy. Uh, You know, this is, I mean, there are maybe other interventions that are appropriate, hopefully, uh, you know, before the criminal justice system has to become involved, because once that happens, it's a total train wreck. Uh, And nevertheless, uh, none of this is particularly easy. I know, Uh, you know, we want to talk about the healing properties of empathy, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, is it David Olds, who's a paediatrician in the States, has calculated that for every dollar spent on early prevention and intervention, you're saving eight to ten dollars down the line. The, the economics are compelling, and it is it is a shame. I'm not sure there's any easy answer other than to write your your congressman, your senator, your local uh, uh, parliamentarian, depending on your geography, as to the importance of applying resources. I think empathy training does uh, reward uh, its application. I want to so we're going to have about a minute or so until we go to uh, sponsorship break. Remember, no money, no mission. So you want to pay attention to the sponsor. Sponsors. Uh, nevertheless, uh, that's just kind of what we said. Uh, I want to offer and hold the thought that um, uh, the application of what is it about empathy that is healing? Is there such a thing as resistance to empathy? Does mm-hmm. empathy exist? We, we were kind of agreeing empathy exists naturally now. What what do we do with it, right? Um, so with that thought, hold that thought. At this point, uh, we're going to take a short break. I'm talking with David Howe, em- author of Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters, about the healing properties of empathy. We'll be right back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education, in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy. Individual Psychotherapy Services, to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues, where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening, as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement, action, and accomplishment. 
and delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy. For further details, see Lou on the web at louagusta.com. That is spelled L-O-U-A-G-O-S-T-A or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to arumorofempathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Lou Augusta. My special guest today, David Howe author, Empathy, What It Is and Why It Matters, the book I wish I had written. We're t- I, really, no kidding. It's accessible. It's, got, it's fully buzzword compliant. It's got a lot of great stuff in it. We're talking with David today about is empathy teachable, trainable? We're kind of mixing it up about that. What are, so here's the question. What's your guidance around that to parents, educators, therapists, let's get everybody on the list. You can call them out separately. What's your guidance around teaching, training, and empathy? Gosh, Lou, right. Okay. Well, let, let's uh, take it bit by bit. Um, I think, as we said, prevention is better than cure. So getting to help parents, moms and dads, yeah. to understand that children are not only just lovely and delightful, but, but really interesting at this psychological level. And to help parents, I think, to understand that children are social beings by nature and that to connect with that is such a useful developmental experience. So a lot of support and advice and enthusiasm for young mums and dads with their children, I think, is the beginning point. Um, and there's, there's a lovely book um, by Mary Gordon called uh, Roots of Empathy. I'm, I'm sure you know it. Lou. Yes, yes. I mean, it's a whole program. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It and it, it starts off with uh, with helping parents understand their children's fascination with the social world and the world of other people. And the more that parents understand that children are just by nature social beings, and to get parents to be curious and interested in that is to set both parent and child on the road to successful empathy. But beyond that, then you can begin to build in other measures. We mentioned telling children stories. I think that's a great vehicle for helping children develop empathy. So you're reading a story about, I don't know, the the, the lion and the fox and the mouse. And folk, folk tales make great stories. Aesop's fables. I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. 
But at the, even in the telling of the story, inviting the child to, to say, gosh, I wonder how the fox feels being chased by the big lion. Yeah. What must it like to be that fox being chased by the lion? You're inviting the child to get into character, into somebody else's world and somebody else's universe. And although each example may sound rather small, if not trivial, nevertheless, it's, it's encouraging the child to begin to see the world from other people's points of view. Uh, and that their behaviour is the result of their feelings and their emotions. And if you can understand their feelings and emotions, then you can make sense of their behaviour. Behaviour is meaningful. Uh, and for children to understand that very important lesson, I think, is, again, the beginnings of a successful empathic career. Um, so it starts off in the early years with babies, with toddlers, with telling stories. Uh, and you can begin to flesh that out. You can get children to write stories in which they can engage with characters. So I think the home, parents, school, teachers, that's an environment where the basics can be introduced, understood and recognised. And I think that, that that's a lesson worth pushing, I think, across the piece with parents yeah. and teachers. Well, you called out this Roots of Empathy, which uh, is, is, is a book, and it's definitely worth... These individuals bring a baby, like a mom and a oh, baby, yeah. into yeah. class, right? Yeah. They, go, they go to, whether it's the first grade class or the second grade class or the sixth grade class, they bring a child, a neonate, right, a, a relatively newborn. And heavens knows of the rules and insurance regulations, somehow they managed to make this happen, given the <laughs> world that we've got, right? It's so fraught, and we can talk about that, too. And people respond as anybody would to a charming, dear, goo-goo-ga-ga baby, coochie-coochie-coo, right? There's that whole uh, dimension. And then I believe there is actually also a, some, some articulate, explicit lesson there as well about how to handle a, a baby of tender age in that way. I think that's a powerful program. I mean, I'm just calling it out because it deserves the recognition. And, and, you know, I think it's wish it had been available, you know, I mean, and, and it's good that it is. But what else? I mean, what I mean, you mentioned in the book, I can quote you back to yourself. You you mentioned in the book that for grownups and adults, hey, engage with storytelling. That is to say, read fiction. Yeah, read fiction is, is good. Um, I mean, reasonable quality fiction uh, and good quality films and theater. What uh, I was, I, my, my friend Stan Shad has recently published Alien Love, which is a story of a Earth person who falls in love with an extraterrestrial. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I would call it, uh, it, it, would, it, it Stan does some great work. I mean, and, and it exercises the imagination. I'm not sure it's your conventional love story in any case. And I, th I hear there's the CIA show up at some point. Uh, but you may be meaning more classic fiction. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. I think, um, let, me, let me give you a quote. Um, there's a, there's a, an author called Candia McWilliams, and she has this rather nice quote. It's very short. Yeah. She says, fiction is what takes us into the understanding of people who we are not. Hmm. Now, isn't that nice? Isn't that neat? Yeah, fiction okay. is what takes us into the understanding of people who we are not. In other words, reading fiction requires you to, to get into the frame of reference of the characters that you're reading about. Um, often unpleasant characters, sometimes people that, that you would never normally meet in their walk of life. And yet the, the, the good fiction writer is inviting you into their world, into their perspective. Um, and here's another quote. So just bear with me. I'll yeah, yeah. No, this is great. This is another author, Sue Monk Kidd. 
And what she says that she wants to do is jolt the reader's heart. I want my words to open a portal through which the reader may leave the self, migrate to some other human sky and return disposed to otherness. In other words, if I'm a successful author, what I've done is get you to walk in somebody else's shoes, feel it, be it, understand it. So fiction reading, I think particularly in book clubs, is a rather nice way of just to improve general empathy amongst all of us, not just uh, professionals. And, uh, and that works. And I, I'm going to try to give that back to you in terms of what I got from that. That works because it exercises the imagination. Yeah, what exercises yeah. the imagination, say, in engaging with a good story, some fiction, or even you can get this, a similar, not identical, but a similar result in the movies, in the cinema, yeah. a good narrative. I remember Captain Phillips begins with the, the line, this, uh, this movie is based on a true story. Well, a lot of our experiences are based on a true story. And the line between fact and fiction is interesting to explore. There's a boundary there. But in any case, it's, it exercises the imagination. And that's a powerful, powerful capability, which shows up in empathy. It shows up in humor. It shows up in what? I mean, as one gets older, you know, people acquire experience in a certain wisdom. I mean, it's, it's like a fraught word already, but, but some life experiences might be a better word, involve the imagination. Uh, and all of these feed into, not identical to empathy, but kind of support the program. Let me just feel a little joker into this then. Yeah. Uh, we tend to be, the researchers tell us that we're most empathic with those with whom we're most alike. Um, and we find empathy most difficult with those whom we're least alike in terms of age, gender, race, religion, disability, physical ability. Now, that, that's a very interesting poser, I think, for the average individual. So how then do you get people to understand what it must be like to be the other if the other is uh, female and you're male, um, yeah. the other is white and you're black, the other is a Muslim and you're Christian, um, the other exactly. is old, old and you're young. So getting people to read and understand and share stories about other people who are very different to you is really forcing you to empathize with, with the otherness. Well, consider the possibility. So I'm just going to be bold and, and break in here. Consider the pot. You asked the, ask the question, how do you do that? Well, it's not like what I'm about to say is the absolute truth with a capital T. And consider the possibility that one way to do that is to distinguish between what I am listening to and my opinion of it. So as, let's say, I'm a, a Muslim and listening to a Christian or a Buddhist, listening to a Hindu, consider the possibility there's a difference between what the person is saying and what my opinion is. That's, for me, empathy 101. If I can make, because my opinion, I got like 101 opinions. That's how you get to be the host of an internet <laughs> talk radio show. You don't get here unless you have it. But my opinion is not the truth with the capital. You're talking and I'm having an opinion. I agree. I disagree. That makes perfect sense that, you know, this guy is really smart. This guy is the opposite of really smart, right? Well, that actually doesn't go away. That, the chatter keeps 
occurring. That's kind of inauthentic language, if you will. But if one can distinguish what one is hearing in trying to, you know, I mean, really the message and the content that does apply here from one's opinion, that's a first step in getting yeah. with the other person. I yeah. think yeah. my opinion, by the way. So, and of course, understanding the other person isn't to condone what they're doing necessarily, but at least you know how they've got to be where they're at. Well, uh, and, and that allows you then to connect in a way that perhaps wouldn't normally be possible. I think people like Desmond Tutu and the reconciliation work he's done in South Africa is tremendous. Very powerful. Uh, I mean, very powerful. Um, people who can forgive atrocities against them and their fellows, uh, that takes a huge amount of courage on everyone's part. Um, and again, I guess it's true in the States, we have over here uh, what's called restorative justice, which is a fancy title for saying basically that people who have committed offences meet the victims of those offences. Um, and again, that, that's a tough one. It really yet, is. Enormously yeah. confronting. Yeah. Extremely, yeah. But Well, it makes a lot of sense because the jails are overflowing here in the States and it's it just making people worse. It's just training in, in more bad behavior. I mean, now there are a few people who escape and, and manage to survive that experience and even transcend it, but that is a rare exception. Yeah. I want to talk about, you call out Desmond Tutu, and you know, we were talking about this offline. This is one book that I bought based on its title. There is no future without forgiveness. Now, yeah. I bought that. I mean, I, that, I, that title sold the book to me. And then I read it. And here's the thing about forgiveness. Now, I may forgive my, this is now, again, Lou Augusta. But the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, because everybody was expecting a big civil war. And while heavens knows they have struggles and suffering and issues, they didn't have no big civil war. They just got their ordinary, difficult uh, society. And, and so you got to tell the truth. I did this. I, the perpetrator has to stand up and say what's so. And then the, the survivor or the victim and the survivor uh, has to say whether or not they forgive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you shift that over into the, the people who've committed violent offenses, robbed people's houses, again, it's, it's a an effective way of getting the perpetrator of the offence to understand what it must be feel like to be on the receiving end of that offence, which is, again, is a form of empathy. But of course, a lot of people who are violent and who are offenders have come from pretty troubled backgrounds, so their empathy levels are not brilliant. Well, we uh, need to hear that narrative. What? How did you get on to death row? Yeah, what happened yeah. to you that you got a 10-year, 20-year sentence? What's your narrative? What do you think, oh dear, you know, now somebody needs to meet with that person. And, and, then, and here's the rubber thing. Very often, because people with these backgrounds have learned to stay alive, stay safe by not trusting other people, yeah. the empathic counsellor, the empathic therapist who turns on the empathy is in fact going to be experienced initially as someone not to be trusted. I know what carers are like, says this guy. Carers are people who abuse you, let you down, abandon you, neglect you. Um, so you're behaving a bit like a carer. You know, you're saying you love me, you, have yeah. empathy, you want to understand me, you want to get into my head, you want to get into my mind. Uh, I'm not going there. This is a dangerous place to go. So very often when you're working with people who've suffered these very troubled childhoods, you have to be very, very careful in the level of empathy and how much you turn it on and turn it off. It's a very gentle 
slow, stepwise performance that you have to engage in. I um, think that's great guidance, David, and we are actually confronting about 101 questions. We end up with more questions than answers. Absolutely. And uh, we have one minute, uh, which gives me enough time to say that uh, I'm really honored and delighted that we could have this conversation. Everybody out there listening, without exception, should go out and get empathy, what it is and why it matters, why it matters. The rumor of empathy is no rumor. Empathy lives with David Howe and the work you are doing. So uh, this gives me a chance to say next week, we're going to talk to James Garbarino, author, Listening to Killers, Lessons Learned from Dr. Gabarino's 20 years experience as a psychological expert witness in murder cases. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not to be missed. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to A Rumor of Empathy with Lou Augusta. Please join us again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to see you again next week.